The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you to be here with us in this place this morning. And we trust that you have kept your promise and are here. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. It has long been the tradition of the church to combine Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem and his passion and death on the cross into the Palm Sunday celebration. We begin outside with the liturgy of the palms and a joyous procession into the church, then sing and pray and joy, joy, joy. And then we read the profound and sobering story of Jesus' trial, his beating, and his crucifixion. It's a long service with a lot of emotions packed into it, a lot of different emotions. I did once actually try to rearrange the service to a, a form in which we read the Palm Sunday triumphal entry reading just before the sermon, and I preached just on that text And then we did communion like we would normally do. And then that year, we actually ended the service with the reading of the Passion, and everyone left the church in silence. And it was kind of a cool thing, and it worked pretty well. But after several years of wrestling with this weird bifurcated service that we do on Palm Sunday, triumphal entry and Passion and Crucifixion, I have finally decided to just embrace that our prayer book knows what it's doing. That Palm Sunday and Good Friday are inextricably linked. Once you start getting into the significance of what's actually going on on Palm Sunday and how the people gathered along the road that day would have understood what was happening, it becomes impossible not to connect it to Jesus' trial. And crucifixion. To understand Palm Sunday, Jesus' coming as a king into Jerusalem at the feast of the Passover, you have to understand something about the climate of the city into which Jesus is entering. Now, Jerusalem was, of course, a Jewish city, but it was under Roman occupation and Roman authority. The Roman garrison, men of the most feared fighting force in the world, were stationed in a fort that was literally right next door to the temple. And this fort had a tower high enough that the soldiers could actually look down into the temple court. Like the citizens under Big Brother in 1984, the Jews always knew that the Romans were watching. In that novel, every apartment has a two-way screen that functions as a TV, but also allows the totalitarian government to watch your every move. And Imperial Rome is just like that. The Roman prefect is watching you. 
the posters around town might have said. And like any populace under the rule of an occupying military force, relating to their overseers was a complicated thing. So the Romish nature of Jerusalem and the Jewish nature of Jerusalem were in tension all the time. Now, most Jews, of course, living in this holy city under an oppressive, oppressive regime, just tried to get along as best they could, kept their heads down, tried to do their work, live their lives, and raise their families. That wasn't everyone, though. That was sort of the big group in the middle, but there are people on either ends of this spectrum. On the one end, you might have uh, what came to be called the Hellenizing Jews. These are the Jews who tried to assimilate as much as they could. Uh, They went along to get along, tried to fit into this foreign culture in which they found themselves. You know the kind of people I mean. They're the ones who would have tried to incorporate the worship of Caesar into their normal Jewish rituals. They would have tried to dress more like the Romans and so on. Matthew, the tax collector whom Jesus had called as a disciple, would have been before that calling in this king. But it's the people on the other end of the spectrum that will be important for us to talk about this morning. That's the resistance, the radicals, the revolutionaries, the the Luke Skywalkers, Princess Leias, and Obi-Wan Kenobis. The people who are looking for ways to rise up against their oppressors. Ways to take Jerusalem and their national identity back. This group is called the Zealots. It seems that even though the text does not say so explicitly, there's good evidence that it was these people, these zealots, desirous of reclaiming their national identity and escaping from Roman oppression, who made up a big part of that crowd on Palm Sunday morning. And the fact that the people are waving palms is actually a big clue. I'm going to read to you now for a second from an apocryphal book, the book of First Maccabees. Now, don't get worried. Uh, this is not a book of scripture. We do not believe that it is directly inspired by God, but it is an ancient writing that provides valuable insight into the history of the Jewish people in what's called the intertestamental period. That is the time between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New So in the same way that 1st Enoch in our class on Jude is without itself being the inspired word of God, shedding light on what the Bible is saying to us. Or like how the great Jewish historian Josephus can give us context for the biblical narratives. 1st Maccabees here can help us take a peek behind the scenes of Jesus' Palm Sunday procession. I'm just going to read to you a couple verses. This is from 1 Maccabees chapter 13. And what's going on here is a story is being told about an event that occurred about 150 BC. So 180 years or so before Palm Sunday. 1 Maccabees 13 verses 49 to 51, we find a story of a man named Simon, a Jewish leader recapturing an occupied citadel for his Jewish people. And he accomplishes this by way of a siege. So there's a a Jewish city 
that has been taken over by foreign invaders, and Simon lays siege to that city, eventually forcing the invaders to leave. I want you to listen to 1 Maccabees. Here's what is written. The people in that citadel in Jerusalem, that's the occupiers, were prevented from going out into the country and back to buy or sell. They suffered greatly from hunger, and many of them died of starvation. They finally cried out to Simon, and he gave them terms of peace. He expelled them from the citadel and cleansed it of impurities. On the 23rd day of the second month, in the 171st year, the Jews entered the citadel with shouts of praise, the waving of palm branches, the playing of harps and cymbals and lyres, and the singing of hymns and canticles, because a great enemy of Israel had been crushed. So, 180 years before Palm Sunday, we have the waving of palm branches connected to the triumphal entry of a conquering hero of Israel who crushed an occupying force. Does this sound familiar? And we even have proof that palms are an enduring image for the Jews in in 70 AD. So immediately before the temple is destroyed, Israel mints its own coins. That is, coins minted under the immediate threat of oppressive destruction, and the Jews decide to print palm branches on the coins. Palm branches connected this time to the desperate need for a conquering hero to get out from under the oppression of an occupying force. So palm branches are no accidental accessory as Jesus enters Jerusalem on the back of that donkey. These people don't have palm branches by accident. Indeed, when Aya and I were in Israel, we learned that palm branches are not even specifically native to that area. It's not like the people could have just picked them up out of convenience as though they were just lying around. These branches were brought in from somewhere else. And why? Because of what they symbolized. Like Simon, somebody who would come and free the Jews from their oppressors. These branches are freighted with great significance. The people might as well have been waving Nation of Israel flags. Jesus, they think, is like Simon, coming to rid them of their occupying oppressors. And so they shout, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Hosanna means save us. The thronging congregation is collectively waving a symbol. One that everyone gathered would have recognized. A symbol of their desire for Jesus to be the one who had come to liberate them. Who had come to set them free. And of course, he had. But not in the way that anyone was expecting. Now. Now we have to get to Good Friday. Now we have to understand why we read the Passion. This morning, too, because what happens on Palm Sunday helps us to make sense of this terrible scene 
Friday morning in the temple courtyard. Pontius Pilate is there, the Roman prefect. And remember, the Roman garrison is literally looming over them from next door. Big brother is watching. Rome, the oppressive regime, is all around. And Jesus, who was supposed to be the new and better Simon, has been arrested. And the crowd is worried that all their palm waving from Sunday has been for naught. Maybe this isn't the guy who's going to liberate them, like Simon had done almost 200 years before. And the crowd, of course, isn't just worried. They are angry. They'd gotten their hopes all the way up just to see them come crashing down. Jesus whom they had welcomed with such vigor, seems now to be so meek, so lowly. He's doing nothing to defend himself or them. And then the Roman prefect offers them a choice. This is Mark chapter 15, verses 6 to 15. Now, It was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate, knowing It was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The people have made their choice. And it's a choice that is perfectly in keeping with the rabid celebration on Palm Sunday. They want an insurrectionist. Barabbas was from that far edge of the spectrum, a radical, a zealot. He had just participated in a murderous rebellion in the city. It totally makes sense that the people would have voted for his freedom over Jesus's. He was the one trying to give them what they thought they wanted. He was the one trying to free them from that looming Roman garrison that they could all see over their shoulders. He was the one trying to overthrow Big Brother. He was the one who seemed to actually be doing something. And Jesus, to their fury, just stood there, silent. Of course, Jesus was going to actually do something that very afternoon. We're at the beginning of Holy Week now. We're going to walk this road together. Something that Barabbas could never have accomplished. 
We're going to remember that in a focused way right here in this room, 6 p.m. Friday evening. But this thing that Jesus accomplished would be the opposite of what everyone expected. And this is how it always goes for people like us whose desires are wrapped up in iniquity and sin. Jesus resolutely refuses to give us what we think we want and instead gives us exactly what we really need. We are not getting our freedom from worldly oppressors. We are getting our freedom from sin and death. In this world, you will have tribulation, says Jesus in John chapter 16. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Now, he doesn't say that our tribulation will necessarily end, but he does say that he has overcome it. And so Jesus is in fact the Savior that the people need. He is in fact the Savior that you need. Hosanna, it turned out, was exactly the right thing for that crowd to be shouting. Because he is their Savior. And he is victorious. But he is victorious by being defeated. He brings new life by dying. He grants forgiveness and gives righteousness by taking the sins of the world, your sins and mine, onto his own shoulders. Palm Sunday is good news for sinful people. Just like that crowd, we want victory. Jesus' way to victory is through seeming defeat. We want a kingdom. Jesus' rule is symbolized by a crown of thorns. We want life. Jesus gives life by dying in our place. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Hosanna means save us. And that is exactly what Jesus has done. Amen.